Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Welcome to the NZ Tech Podcast. This is episode number 40. Yes, we've done it. But now, who have we got in the studio? You've got Bradley Burrows. And Skip Parker. And myself, Paul Spain. Thanks for listening in, folks. Let's dive straight in. We start by a little bit of follow-up on our discussion around Nokia's stylish N9 handset. That is the 999 handset that they've uh, launched through the Vodafone NZ network here locally in New Zealand and seems to be selling at a reasonably fast pace uh, around the world at the moment. Yeah, look, it's a gorgeous piece of hardware and I recommend that you go out into Vodafone and actually have a look at it. It is stunning. It's, it's beyond gorgeous. It is amazing. It's really Oh, good. stop over-hyping it. But actually, no, it's really cool. It is really, really good. <laughs> and uh, I mean, when you're using the hardware itself, it's just a, Nokia have actually outdone themselves in the design of this one. Amigo's gorgeous. It really is. Yeah, I've been using using this for the last uh, last few days, so I've, I've had a bit more uh, hands-on with it than most. I, I have to say, I'm actually, I'm actually pretty impressed with the operating system. On first view, you know, last week when we were talking about it, yeah, it did look good. Having some of the things that are built in, like Skype built in, you know, right into the handset of that sort of operating system level, that's really cool. So it pulls all those yep. sort of Skype messages together with text messages and other messages. So those things all, all just flow through really nicely. Well, the reason we bring this up again is because we had a bit of a word to the folks at Nokia NZ, uh, who you can follow on Twitter if you like, at Nokia NZ, uh, and we said, look, was this phone you sent us, was that uh, was that just for us to play with, or was that really something that you wanted to give out to the NZ Tech Podcast listeners? And, uh, well, they said, after we've had a play with it, which... Um, yeah, it's going to be a little bit hard to get it out of our hands, but um, once we're finally convinced to let it go, uh, it's going to be given out to a listener. So if you'd like to enter that contest, do jump across to the nztechpodcast.com website where we will be giving out all of the uh, all of the details very shortly on how you enter that via uh, Facebook, Twitter, and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, definitely this is, uh, is a competition well worth entering. Other news this week. KiwiCon in Wellington. Skip, you were there at this... Uh, at what, what would you describe KiwiCon as for, for the, uh, the uninitiated or, or those who, uh, who haven't heard of it before? It's um, been described as a hacker's convention... And that's it's pretty close to what it is. It does actually... Um, so you're one of those dodgy hackers, Skip. Is that <laughs> what you're telling us? No, not really. Just a passing interest in this uh, cyber security stuff. I guess the, um, the it's a venue where uh, hackers of both the dark hat, which is sort of the, I guess, the uh, darker side of hacking, and the white hat, which is the professional security analyst guys and that sort of stuff, they all come together into... Uh, into Wellington for um, two days of just straight-out hacker convention. We talk about oh, everything from uh, security problems right through to actual technical de- demonstrations and then sort of high-level talks about the so- uh, society and the state of uh, security. Yeah, it was, um, it was another stellar weekend. 600 people attended this one. 
That's well, that's huge. pretty big. How many were the last one? Because you've been going to these uh, these conferences for quite a few years, right? I've uh, been to every single one so far. The um, I, I can't remember what last year was, but this is a huge step up. They had to move into the uh, uh, the Wellington Opera House, which was quite funny because they had the uh, Opera House staff all uh, keeping a close eye on this group of people that were, everyone was pretty much wearing black. Um, in fact, we had one guy on the street come up to us and said, was there a funeral on? Um, it is it is a very, very full-on conference. Um, so, yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed it. Oh wow, cool! And so, what what were really what what were the highlights from your perspective? I mean, yeah, I mean there was um, there was a conversation about uh, a, a titled topic called "Hacking Hollywood," where a uh, a guy from Security Assessment in Auckland demonstrated just how you could break into um, a Hollywood film studio using the tools that the Hollywood film studios use. So you, you break in using uh, sort of uh, breaches, uh, I guess security problems with those tools, and getting into the back end of um, those systems. The whole idea is could you steal a movie from a, a, um, a movie company, and apparently works that you can. Uh, some guy, um, uh, a guy did a demonstration on uh, uh, how to break uh, or defile the Mac OS X, so some of the security issues around that including uh, embedding viruses into places we never thought were supposed to be there. Um, on the Apple side, there was a little bit more of a, um, uh, a picking of the iPhone security models that are in place on the current uh, releases of iPhone. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. On the current releases up to the, f- the latest 4S, uh, and I'd have to say the iPhone is not a secure device in any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things uh, which we can demonstrate on that one, which is quite scary. I mean, we've all, we've all seen them, the the, uh, the iPad uh, unlock screen vulnerability can use the um, Apple-provided uh, mag screen. Well, it's a screen cover you flick across. Yeah, the magnetic one. Yeah, so there's that, uh, that's been quite well known. But things like uh, when they talk about hardware encryption on an iPhone, it actually does encrypt your data on the iPhone, but... To get your data off the iPhone, it actually decrypts it for you. There's only one reason why hardware encryption exists. It's so that if you do a remote wipe of your device, it deletes the encryption key. It's all it does. It doesn't delete the data. It just deletes the encryption key, and then you can't get the data back. So that's all it's there for. So if you're looking at it and going, well, this has got hardware encryption, I'm quite safe, you need to probably think a little bit more about that. Uh, I guess uh, people can go, well, that's fine. If my iPhone gets stolen, I can... Um, I can just do a remote wipe and my data's safe. Well, as I said, one of the cheapest security tools that you can use is actually a paperclip to pop out the SIM card and then that phone can't connect to your device, your network, to get the remote wipe. So, yeah, there's a couple of little considerations around that. And then there was one chat which I thought was fascinating uh, from a guy from the Australian Federal Police and he talked about his role at the Federal Police and some of the things that they're doing. It was just a very fascinating look at... The um, the crime fighting side of uh, cyber crime. I was going to say cyber terrorism. The, the side that he talked about, you know, trying to keep himself anonymous uh, and safe because it's. I mean, they are estimating it's probably up to about two billion dollars now worth of uh, stolen coin in Australia through cyber crime now per year, which is quite astounding, really. How much? Sorry, two billion Australian. Wow, that's that's huge numbers. It is fantastically huge numbers. So, as he points out, criminals aren't going to let that go in a hurry. So, if you're going to try and stop them, they're going to spend serious money trying to stop you. And he showed a few examples uh, of that. So that that was an interesting uh, look into the serious nature of um, of cybercrime.
And then there was uh, Headhunter, which is a, uh, a guy from, uh, he works in Zurich in San Francisco. He has uh, did, a, a, I guess, a general overview of some of the talk around the net. So talking about cyber war, you know, this whole uh, nation-state-sponsored war and also the war between Anonymous and that sort of thing. And he brought up a really interesting point is that every time the media brings out cyber terrorism and mentions cyber war, it just gives permission to the governments to then start doing crazy things like restricting, I guess, your um, your civil rights on the net and in life in general because um, it, of this whole idea of cyber war and cyber terrorism. And the funny thing about it is a lot of the, uh, lot of the guys that are working in incident management in big corporates and even the federal police guys were saying, look, it's, it's not really a cyber war. It's kind of a really bad bad phrase to use because it just brings about connotations where you start losing your civil liberties and that sort of thing. Well, it's an emotive word, isn't it, basically? It's a very emotive word, and it starts it starts um, military, oh, what's the word, militarizing the whole um, cyber security side of things. So they're saying that you're getting uh, governments now creating viruses and all sorts of stuff to try and combat. So, I mean, there's a, the Stuxnet virus, for example. There's a, there's a big question about whether that was a state-sponsored virus and there's a whole other bunch i mean it was just a really fascinating weekend to look at the the strategic global view of what's happening in uh, the cyber world security wise and then also some hands-on experience of uh, actually breaking things i'm going to try and do a demo on video and put it up on the tech podcast website of just some of the techniques that we used i think there's stuff we need to be aware of it sounds like it's gone from a, a local to a very international-based um, attendance as well. If you've got international speakers coming in now, it's actually got quite professional in the way it's been presented. It's, it's always had a lot of international um, speakers. Uh, in fact, there's been a lot of uh, world firsts also uh, at KiwiCon, uh, a lot of things that were demonstrated at KiwiCon before they demonstrated anywhere else. So I, I think it actually does have some... Um, some credibility behind it. it. It certainly has right from the outset. I mean, yes, it's it's put together by a, a, an amazing group of uh, volunteers uh, who work in full-time in security, either as uh, a, a serious hobby or as actually a daytime job. It, it is actually a really good con. con. I mean, when you get to... Uh, you, you're going down and you're meeting guys that are living and breathing this stuff, and... They are performing the most amazing hacks that you'll see. I, I, I'm just really impressed by it all. You, you'll come across a bunch of guys that, you know, on the street you might think, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to talk to those guys that look rough or anything like that. But the, these guys are serious about security, and they're serious about the fact that, you know, if you don't secure your, your stuff, you're an idiot. And if we can teach you how to secure your stuff, that's going to make life a lot better. So, I mean, these, a lot of these guys work in uh, professional security assessment crowds. Um, they, they do it day in, day out for corporates. And they just want to try and encourage people to actually think about it because at the end of the day, they're really quite um, strong on, uh, I guess, civil liberties as well, sort of not losing your freedoms and your rights because of uh, stupid stuff happening on the net. It's quite an accepting crowd. And you'll see some very interesting characters, and you'll probably find that you could probably rock up to them and have a chat to them about security stuff, and they won't, uh, they won't give you any grief at all. Because that's the whole idea of the con, is to be able to share that knowledge, just to share that experience that these guys have seen. So did actually have a competition night uh, on Saturday night where you, they uh, set up a fake power company and put up this big backstory, and you had to, as a team, go in and hack this um, 
security, this uh, power company, and uh, take down this uh, this organisation, which was um, quite quite phenomenal. So they they put in a few security exploit um, flaws in the system, so you could make your way through. But you had to discover them. So it's sort of encouraging uh, people to sort of learn about how to assess their own security as well. So it was really good. No, that sounds great. It's it's good to uh, yeah, it's good to have these sort of topics being discussed, you know, openly here in New Zealand. Now there was a call that came out through KiwiCon a lot from uh, some of the top security assessment guys. Is that is the um, the penetration testing crews? These are the guys that go in and test software, test your sites, test your company, that sort of stuff. There there is a bit of a shortfall now in uh, that skill set in New Zealand. So if you're a young person that's really interested in this area, they really would be keen to try and help encourage that uh, sort of growth in that. And going to something like a KiwiCon actually really does help stretch your um, your mind and your imagination a little bit and helps in uh, getting your foot in the door in that sort of industry. Okay. Now, you know, you, you mentioned that you were, um, I guess, had lost lost confidence uh, in, you know, the iPhone and Apple iOS from a security perspective. There's the new issue that's been in the, uh, that we've just, just heard about in the, in the last few hours, whereby people can actually publish an application through um, the Apple App Store and have that link back and pull in code that allows you to, you know, remote control the phone, get a command line up, access contacts and, you know, basically all the data, which, you know, as you say, yeah, Apple says it's encrypted, but... Once you've got an app in the App Store, you can actually do all, all sorts of stuff, right? The, 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 the encryption is just not at all visible. Uh, and we might post a link to that, to that video, post that video um, with this episode on the NZ Tech Podcast website because it's, it's just absolutely fascinating to see you know, how easy it is to, uh, you know, behind the scenes, get access to someone's phone with, with, uh, in this manner. I mean, this is... I, I was shocked when I saw that video. I've got to say that's that's unprecedented. I would would have thought. So if you are going and buying a product based on a byline in a sales brochure saying it's safe and secure, and you desperately need to be safe and secure, you need to definitely check that out for yourself. You can't just take it for face value because on the Apple site it does safe. It is safe and secure. Every platform has a, you know, has has similar sorts of risks, right? For sure. And uh, the one thing they did say is they did demonstrate some stuff with uh, window, the new Windows 8 dev build, and talked about Windows Phone 7. Now the reality is that um, there isn't a lot of exploits out for those platforms because they actually are still quite new and not very well. I guess, tested as much as, say, the iPhones and the Androids have been. So the reality is that there are very few... There are very few guarantees in this world about the security of your data, shall we say. Mm, mm. Um, So you need to, I think if you're a person that's quite concerned about this, you need to actually pick up your skills. You need to start understanding how to secure your data and looking at things like using Data Vault or a third-party product that you know has been tested and works to secure your information. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, you just can't trust the corporate sales pitch on a consumer website shall we say okay okay oh uh, well, that's uh that's definitely good good to know now uh so moving along iphone 4 4s um 
we we last week got the official confirmation that it will be launched here in New Zealand this Friday. We discussed back in sort of September and October that we'd heard whispers uh, via um, some insiders within um, uh, one of the telcos about uh, an early no, uh, early November launch. So those turned out to actually be uh, reasonably accurate. Uh, the interesting news is that not only a Vodafone going to be selling the iPhone four. S uh, and the other you know, uh, iPhone uh, products, but also uh, Telecom have now got access to that product range, which uh, that that's quite interesting because in the past we'd heard that, that Telecom, you know, on a global basis, are just too small to even be on Apple's radar, and that you know Apple is only interested in selling in deals where they can uh, sign up a, a, a telco such as Vodafone, who are global, who who can commit to you know millions and millions of units. What do you what do you guys think? Uh, I think it's because of the XT network actually. I think they're in, they've gone off their CDMA. They've got the XT. Um, they're starting to get some stability back there. And I think also with telecom doing such a heavy Google focus, I think that's really taking quite a few people by surprise. So um, I think Vodafone has sort of been like so focused on BlackBerry and Android uh, and sorry the iPhone that Apple want to get out there and sort of uh, do a bit of displ- um, displacement. So yeah, by allowing them to have it in there, you're going to start competing directly with Google on the on that network. So yeah, I think the XT network. I mean, everyone I speak to now says they get phenomenal speeds on the XT network, mm-hmm. and with the 4S being such a heavy data consumption device, um, with things like Siri and all those other areas of it, you're going to need to have a good, good speedy network. Now, Skip's locking his eyes around Siri because it's a big debate at the moment, isn't it? I, is is Siri going to understand anything in New Zealand? I mean, it probably understand the accents and the voice, but is there actually any data for Siri to work on? It's like, Siri, show me a restaurant. No, because I haven't got a clue where they are. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's going to be interesting. I had a, I had a quick sort of you know non non official chat to um uh some some apple and uh and some vodafone folks you know around Siri in New Zealand of course we heard when the iPhone 4S and iOS 5 were announced that Siri wouldn't be coming to wouldn't be coming to the New Zealand market uh but I've I've heard uh from some of the vodafone guys that have had a bit of a play around with some 4, 4S devices and I know there are there are others amongst our our, our listeners and so on that have uh, have brought the 4S into the country to have a bit of a, a, a play with through from Australia and so on. You know, pep, yeah, basically what the, the feedback is, yeah, Siri does work okay with a, a New Zealand accent, seems to handle it reasonably well. Uh, but, yeah, it's that background sort of data, I guess, is the uh, is the concern. We'll, we'll certainly wait until we get our hands on to be able to give our, uh, our, our opinion on that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's positive. Content is king. And if you don't have the content to display it, the voice is completely irrelevant at the end of the day, isn't it? So they've got to have that content available for New Zealand to, to really make Siri work. So. Well, they've had those problems even in Canada, haven't they? Which is yep, you know, Siri just, doesn't work. just across the border from the states. So, uh, you know, Siri's there, but yeah, without that sort of localized content, it, it um, it's not such an exciting experience, right? I will say this though: I actually took an Android device with me down to Wellington and used Google Maps to find locations in Wellington, and it actually worked really well. 
Like, I'm really surprised at how well it worked. Yes, okay, so it was amongst buildings, the GPS thought I was travelling at 126 kilometres an hour by foot. But. That's impressive. How I did know, you. I know, I'm just rolling downhill. I don't you know. You really are a superhero, aren't you, Skip? That's right. We've always suspected that. <laughs> but the thing is that I've found, especially in downtown Auckland, is you search for a restaurant in downtown Auckland, and this is on both Bing and Google, and it just looks at you dormantly like you're some sort of idiot. Like it doesn't, it yeah. picks up some stuff, but not everything. And I was just, I'm just thinking that potentially the culture in Wellington is feeding into Google a lot better. So you go around to the cafes, they're all uh, tagged with um, those um, QR codes, but they've, they've got, they seem to have the, na- the, the understanding of what the technology does. So potentially I, I think um, it's maybe just a case of as New Zealanders and New Zealand businesses, we just need to get our act together and start advertising properly into some of these search engines. Totally agree. The uh, talking about GPS navigation, uh, I just have to jump back to the Nokia N nine for a minute because I was I was having a look at their their app on there, the uh, the Drive app, which I understand is also coming to their uh, Windows Phone uh, seven handsets when the Lumia uh, launches. This is the OV Map stuff. Uh, well, it's actually just called Drive. Oh, okay. And and from what I'm seeing, it looks fairly similar to what they've uh, what they what they're launching on uh, the Windows Phone Seven from from those uh, demos. And it's really cool. It's uh, it's nice sort of yeah three D type capability. Uh, you know, we're here in the studio with with you know not not very close to windows and things like that and uh, it's had no problem picking up our location really quickly off off wi-fi and cell sites or whatever and then uh, very quickly drilled down to uh, exact location and, and it's just it's just a really nice uh view and a and a and a cool app so um yeah it's it's i mean it's great to see all of these things are just getting better and better um now there's there's a few other gps apps around as well that um that I've been having a play with. Um, what have you have you guys been been using any others other than um, uh, yeah Google Maps, obviously on 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 Android and uh, um, on iOS. Yeah, I've been using uh, Bingle Maps, which is a which is a blend of um, Google and Bing together. And oh, that's cool! It's interesting. It does. It's a bit of an epic fail. And the other one I've been using is Turn by Turn Navigation. <laughs> oh, um, that one, that one, that one's it's really that, one's, that one's brilliant, actually. Yeah, I've used the Turn by Turn um, from GPSTuner.com, and that's really nice. It's available in a lot of countries, and there there are. <laughs> there we go. There it is now. So I've just jumped. I've just jumped into the app, and it's about to tell me uh, tell me where to go, in a, in a nice sense. Um, but one thing I noticed is they've launched an offline version of of this. So if you if you sort of have been thinking about, oh, maybe I should buy a, a full blown GPS for my car because I I don't want to be on a data plan that you know gets gets its data used up for my GPS. Uh, it's actually cheaper to buy the app for your for your phone that has all the maps and so on downloaded for New Zealand and Australia. So that's uh, definitely well worth a look. Alrighty, um, now. Other happenings coming up locally here in New Zealand, uh, we have the ITEX conference. It's aimed at your IT managers, CIOs, but to have more of a hands-on uh, marketplace with small breakout sessions around the outside. So 
it's not as big as a tech, uh, Microsoft tech head, but it's not as focused around um, management layers from the management side of things. So it does give you that hands-on. Um, there's always a good selection of vendors there, um, international and local as well, which is kind of cool. So you can go along and actually really have a good play with things. Um, but, yeah, I, I like it. I, I really thought it was a good concept last year, and their marketplace was yeah absolutely stunning compared to what I've seen with other events. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I really gelled with quite a few um, real-world examples of technology in play. Uh, so they invited a lot of guys into the space that were practitioners in those spaces, so the likes of um, uh, guys from Becker, from various other companies, some sub- not... It, it seemed to be a lot more customers talking about products than vendors pushing products, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and that, I felt, were really refreshing because it was just an open, honest discussion saying, look, we've rolled this out, it's done this really well, and we enjoyed this. There were a few hurdles here, but it was fine. And so hearing those sort of stories were really good. The marketplace was quite exceptional. It managed to touch base with quite a few um people that I, you normally wouldn't touch base with, I guess, because you'd, they're not in your mind, foremost in your mind when you're thinking of doing solutions. So that was that was quite good. I did find it a bit odd that they ran multiple sessions in the same room around the marketplace. Um, that could be a bit distracting at times. Yeah, you have that whole noise-cancelling conflict-y thing going on in yeah, your head, don't you? Yeah, it just got a bit, uh, bit crazy and hectic. And, of course, last year they had a, um, a big futurist guy do the big keynote speech from... Uh, I think he was in California doing it remotely. Yep. Um, that was kind of cool um, and kind of not. <laughs> um, I, the thing I find with futurists is that they can sort of just make these outlandish claims about what the future's going to be like, and by the time we get to the future, no one really cares anyway because it's all different. Actually, I've got a funny story around that. I'm not sure if you guys have watched another good podcast, which is the Windows Weekly one, but they actually showed what Microsoft thought 2010 would look like back in 1990... No, 2001, I should say. And it was the weirdest thing. Obviously, this is before Vista came out and they were showing all these people trying to walk out around with these tablets with these huge devices and it was just hilarious what the future <laughs> would look like in 10 years' time. And, of course, you look at it now, you're thinking... The future does not look like that at all. So they, you can get it horribly, horribly wrong. And this was done by a futurist on Microsoft's behalf. Oh, that's interesting. It was yeah. very interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's just the thing. It's like crystal ball gazing. You just don't know. I mean, we're, we're sort of uh, talking about the uh, pace in which technology is now growing and in, engaging in our lives. But we've just had a whole bunch of natural disasters around the world that are now impacting on the supply chain. Directly. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, we've got Ta- is a Bangkok, Taiwan area going on at the moment. There's going to be a hard drive shortage out there, they reckon, now. Yeah, no, there's, uh, there's already price increases across the board for hard drives because of uh, those issues. Uh, we had uh, manufacturing plants in northern Japan wiped off the face of the earth. Um, there's just all these things that could occur um, that could hold back that those ideas, I guess. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like rolling a, rolling a dice and trying to guess the number. I mean, for, are you guys actually, I mean, I haven't bought any equipment in a little while. Paul, you sort of buy it quite all the time. Have you seen any price increases going on, on out there just in your day-to-day business as well? Uh, I haven't noticed anything around the around the hard drives yet, but my my impression is that's going to that's hit very, very soon. Um, over to the man in the corner with his hand in the air. <laughs> Apparently, in the, I'm just reading through the chat room. Um, one of the guys said that he uh, brought a three terabyte external hard drive for two th- about two twenty nine New Zealand dollars. Um, 
and then he checked it again recently, and it's up to about 500 again. Wow. wow. So um, I'm not sure on the validity of that one. I'm, I'm trusting that he's got it right there. But I mean, that's the sort of thing we'll start seeing is yep. those, those high-end drives that have been constantly dropping in price, those sort of three large-scale drives you can get in one box, are going to start going up in price again quite rapidly because they're the ones that are harder to get hold of. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with those sort of enterprise-class drives that go into servers oh, and so on because, be you know, those terrible. drives can be a 1000 or $2,000 you know, anyway at the, you know, the higher end, and a lot of servers have a whole bunch of them in there. Uh, you can imagine what that'll do to the you know the price of, of server infrastructure and so on, right? Yeah, well, I just got some EMC arrays priced up last week. <laughs> I can't imagine what they're going to be like now. I think we might just have to put that one on hold. So I have a question for you guys. Obviously, we're talking about um, platters and everything else. What about solid-state disks? Does this affect those prices as well? Because, you know, they were starting to drop quite dramatically, and I'm a big fan of SSDs. So do you know if this is going to affect those? Well, my my impression is that the that the the price increases are really you know caused by um, the platinum you know the hard drive platter manufacturers in in Thailand obviously being being you know uh, underwater impacted by the <laughs> by the floods yeah underwater etc. Um, but uh, you know I'm not aware of there being any any issues di- directly impacting um, the SSD manufacturing process. But the thing to consider. Is that if the price on the hard drive goes up, then you know if that that can reach a point where people are going to look a lot more closely at the SSD products and say, well, I'll just go SSD. And of course, if everyone starts looking at SSD, there's a, there's only so much capacity out there. Uh, so inevitably, I, you know, we would then see an increase over you know over time if um, if demand out starts outstripping supply for sure. Apparently, um, IBM in the last two weeks have upped their drive prices 25% and potentially another 25 in two more weeks. Yeah, so pretty much I think we're going to see some impacts around the world over the next, you know, for all those people in the industry, that the next few months are going to be interesting. And obviously that's going to affect consumers as well. Obviously with your laptops that you buy at Harvey Norman's, while they were bought probably five months ago, six months' time, you know, their price is going to go up. It's okay because Brad has around about 400 terabytes at his house. <laughs> if we all run into space, we can just offload to his data center. I can run my own private cloud for a while. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, other than uh, other than hard drives, what else? What else is happening out there? And uh, what are the sort of the the trends that we're seeing out there at the moment around um, around tech sort of deals and and whatnot? Obviously, hard drives aren't, aren't uh, uh, well. They might be today if you can find things at current prices. Are probably well worth jumping on and and buying. What other things have you guys noticed recently uh, that are uh, that are a good buy? So for my area of, of passion at the moment, which is the, the, the home theatre stuff, um, I was just showing Paul this before, but the mini ITX motherboards, which can range, which are tiny, 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 um, that you can get one of those now for 297 through a company in Auckland called Playtech, which has got the CPU and everything built into it, as well as doing 1080p. So yes, while a um, Apple, the old Apple TV sizing, you can get cases around that, you can also get a fully functioning PC that you can actually do some low-end games, but you can actually play there. So so that's something I'm going to be looking at. For 297 bucks with the CPU included, it's yeah. a pretty good buy at the moment. And right. So for a whole system built around that, you know, if you went to Playtech, 
he can say, hey, I like the idea of that. Can you build me a system with that in it and all the other bits and pieces? 500. We're talking about 500? 500 yeah. bucks, yeah. yeah. That's you, that's you're going to get a shoebox size, little PC, mm-hmm. your remote keyboard. Until the hard drive prices go up. So get the hard drive one prices, now, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Okay, that's cool. The thing I've been noticing, and uh, we, we, we have talked about doing some reviews on, on these, and uh, we haven't found the time to, to book those in yet, though, is the uh, the new full HD projectors, many of which are coming in three, with 3D as well as as an option for if and when you want to use it. Yeah, you primed my movie theatre for this. I'm oh, all ready to go. Man, yes, my, mine's mine's ready to go as well. So um, I will try and get this organised over the over the next couple of weeks. So um, follow up if I if I haven't uh, done that. But there's some really nice products coming through, and the price points have really come down. Uh, yeah, reasonably dramatically over the over the past twelve months or so. And, and another interesting thing, when just for some reason my head popped into the space, was that there's now these new things called speaking remotes. Now I got put onto this by one of the guys at my work. He flicked me an email saying, "Hey, you can get this in the US right now. There's a Logitech one that's out there, but there's also a custom brand, and you actually speak to your remote, sends a signal to your um, your media center, and will actually do a very similar to connect." Siri-based um, indexing, and it works with um, devices like My Movies, which allows you to index your thing. Skip, you got something for me? So, if I'm looking for a remote in the house, yes, which is like a daily occurrence for me at the moment. <laughs> I can see where this is going. Yes, <laughs> where's the flame in a remote? And then my remote's going to go. I'm over here. Now your your remote's going to go. Your wife's taking it, and you're like, oh, okay, that's fine then. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, then I'll be saying, disable remote, disable remote. But I uh, want to get away from having remotes. I mean, I like yeah, you know, I, I like the idea of a Kinect or a TV that that you know you can you can just talk to or wave at or whatever, and you don't have this thing to get lost under the couch or that you know someone's you know run off with or yeah whatever there's i mean there must be so many scenarios of what happens to remotes so where they i have a scenario for you you've got a voice activated tv you're talking to a friend on the phone tv starts going open close wife says no arguments happen tv goes mental (laughs) there could be issues here well i think the concept's great but i think there's got to be well you've got those trigger you got that usually there's a trigger sort of keyword that needs to be said for it to kick off like a safe room for the remote but but, uh yeah i guess if that comes into your conversation like you know (laughs) you happen to to say you know xbox or whatever. And, the stupid and, and Xbox is not working. Or, yeah. in, or in Apple's case, and they'll probably do this on the Apple TV, is Siri. Yeah, Siri will go. So you'd be talking to your wife on the phone, and you say, just a second, Siri, can you keep it quiet? <laughs> well, Tom Cruise would have that problem, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, but what I'd love to see is your tablet-based devices, like your iPads and your Android devices and the soon-to-be Windows 8 devices, is to have a built-in remote, a really nice universal remote control application built in there without having to have hardware dongles hanging out of everything. It would be nice to see some integration there. It's coming, but it's not. Yeah, it does seem to be coming. We're starting to see those apps now that let you control. I mean, we've seen it for Apple TV, Roku, Windows Media Center, those sort of devices. So, uh, yeah, hopefully all that stuff just comes together. All right. Well, that's uh, that must be just about uh, just about it for this episode. We've uh, we've really run to the end of our uh, our schedule. so what I want to remind everyone of is if you would like to be in to win the gorgeous Nokia N9, then please visit 
the uh, nztechpodcast.com website. We're going to have all the details there on what you need to put up on Facebook, Twitter, etc. if you want to enter that contest. Uh, I think... This is one we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see at least half a dozen entries for this one. Right, this is a cool this is a cool answer. That's a beautiful. Paul doesn't want to give this one away. I'm gonna um, enter. I I yeah no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 really cool actually. Um, but never mind. I am gonna have to let it go. So uh, if you want to be the lucky uh, person to to take that off my hands, uh, please jump into the website and have a look. Uh, you can of course follow us on Twitter. Uh, that's just at NZ Tech Podcast. We're on Facebook.com slash NZ Tech Podcast. Uh, Brad, how do we uh, track you down on Twitter if we want to, uh, if uh, listeners want to follow you? At Brad Bohr, B-R-A-D-B-O-R. And Skip? At uh, Urban Kiwi NZ. And mine is at Paul Spain. So thanks, everyone, for listening in. That has been episode number 40. We will catch you online. We look forward to uh, your tweets and uh, and Facebook messages. And we will be announcing the winner of the N9 giveaway very, very soon. So until next week, see ya. See ya. <laughs>